Ask any baller. If you know, you know. The game has changed, but it's still the same. You want it, go get it. Shazam! The inbounds pass comes into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line. The shot on Elo. The Bulls win! They win it! Mike, you're honestly telling me that you top five. Yeah. Top five of all time. No question about it. Booker, this is for the win. Got it. Wow. The win on the boys made basket. You know, one thing's for sure. Over at Valley Sports Plug, you're never going to catch us slipping. With the first overall pick, the Phoenix Suns select. Three, two, one, yeah! Welcome to Pass the Outlet. I'm your co-host, Michael Benjamin. Joined, as always, uh, by my wingman, Chris Patrick. Chris... How you doing, man? Doing good, brother. Happy to be back. It's a beautiful day here in Arizona. Um, wow, serious topic though on the table today. Um, beautiful intro. I love that. Michael Benjamin making the brand new intro for us. Let us know what you think down below. But Mike, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Just having some fun, you know, you know, putting together some clips, finding a new hobby, I guess you could say. So there you go. I'm excited to see what we can do with it. But um, I'm happy to be here and welcome to all who are watching and listening. So, of course, here at Pass the Outlet, we look to take a deep dive on everything basketball from culture, current events, coaching, and of course, our local Valley of the Sun teams. So, please make sure to drop a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok at AZ underscore VSP. You can find us on Facebook at Valley Sports Plug. And please do not forget to like, leave a comment, and subscribe to our YouTube page at Valley Sports Plug, where you're watching this right now. Chris, right off the bat, we got some huge news that's been some time in the making with uh, the Robert Sarver investigations with the NBA. Um, and there has been a ruling from the NBA's office. And Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver has been suspended for one year and fined $10 million by the NBA in result of their investigation. Uh, about a 43-page uh, report in regards to everything from conversations with Phoenix Suns employees, previous players, coaches, and whatnot. Lots of things in there, and we're going to dive into them today. But, you know, some of those reports state that there were instances of inequitable conduct towards female employees, uh, inappropriate sex-related and appearance comments, not only to women, but to also to men as well as uh, racial slur usage of at least five reported times. So uh, we've had some late breaking news and we're going to get into that as well. But Chris, first and foremost, I wanted to see your thoughts on the investigation and the reports, the results and kind of where you're at right now with the NBA's ruling. Yeah, Mike, you really you laid it out there. It's something we've known about for a long time. Um, you know, this goes back to the the Baxter Holmes story that came out in November of last year. I think it was leaked in late October. And that report came out very, like you said, that uh, I think, what was it, 43 pages? Um, a lot of the claims and allegations in that report were refuted by Robert Sarver and the organizations. But he also took responsibility and owned a lot of those instances as well. So... 
in any case, we, we've known about this and a lot of this conduct. So we were really just waiting on what the penalty would be. That they were hoping that Adam Silver would Robert into this type of transit. We'll get into that a little bit more later. But um, my immediate reaction, I like to... For better or worse, sometimes I look at things and kind of try and play devil's advocate and kind of think of it more logically. I know the emotional response to want Robert Sarver to sell the team is natural. Uh, you know, I, I I do have that feeling of, yeah, I want I don't want him to be the owner anymore by any means. Get him out of here. But the logical side of me understands maybe some legal ramifications. What's in these the NBA Constitution that I just learned about existing within the last 24 hours? Um, you know, collective bargaining agreements and the like, you know, this is business million. You're talking now the NBA is billion dollar business. There's a lot of money at stake here. So I think, you know, obviously the maximum fine is $10 million. Um, we, we look at a similar situation with in 2014 with what happened with Donald Sterling and the Los Angeles Clippers. And at that time, the maximum fine was only $2.5 million. So you're talking Robert Sarver now in 2022 being fined four times that amount. So obviously they've made some adjustments over time. And now um, my thoughts were that this might even result in them raising that amount going forward in the future in any type of new constitution that's written or amendments that that come forward. But I think, you know, I'm, I'm glad they did the most that they could, um, that it sounds like they could from what Adam Silver said. Now he's kind of seems like he's made some comments and walked them back. I haven't had a, a full time since a lot of this news has come out in the last 48 hours or so um, where everyone is is dropping their uh, opinion or their official statements on the matter in the case of Adam Silver. But um, I think there's going to be I think I don't think the story's done yet. I think more is coming down the pipe. Uh, I think that I don't know if Robert Sarver is going to be the owner for too much longer. Um, like you kind of said, there's a big push from from other people in the organization to to kind of sell the team. But um, Mike, did, did you? What about you? What were your reactions? Did you think that that was uh, enough of a punishment? I mean, you see the the ten million dollar price tag on that, and it kind of puts you in shock and. $10 million to Robert Sarver at the end of the day really isn't a, a lot, you know, but this is such a tough scenario in regards to some of these reports and the disgusting things that were seen in the workplace with the Phoenix Suns. Obviously, even going back to when he first purchased the team in 2004, when the first report of uh, his usage of the N-word um, you know, right when he basically steps foot in the door and has to be reminded, hey, that's not okay. You know, it's not a, an, a, an appropriate thing to say uh, as a white male. And, you know, we have cases of even going back to last year when the investigation was going on of reports of the inappropriate conduct. And it's a really, really bad look. Not only for the Phoenix Suns, but I, I feel like for the NBA. And I know you said we're probably not at the end of this. But Adam Silver came out yesterday and had a press conference, and he seemed a little bit frazzled. You know, it almost seemed like he wasn't ready to answer some of the questions in regards to how come this wasn't a harsher punishment. And 
some of these things are alongside or a long term with what we saw from Donald Sterling, and they basically forced his hand to sell the team. Why are you dragging your feet now? You know, it does come down to a lot about opinions and how people feel directly towards that. And it can go into what you were saying about, you know, the collective bargaining agreement and the actual, you know, ownership movement that the NBA can really have a part of enforcing the hand of the, of others. But this is a tough one, man. This is, I don't think anybody's going to look good no matter what the true result is, whether Robert Sarver does end up having to sell his shares of the team. The investigation first and foremost took so long. And I feel like they were probably holding their feet. Uh, before they came out for this to take a year I know they're probably trying to do their due diligence but you know the reports were already there from the first time and now you do your own separate investigation I I just find it hard to believe that it would really take that long to basically find out the same things that were reported uh, in some some instances in that case but Chris I just I don't know how I truly feel about this situation in regards to the penalty and if it's appropriate because it is still opinion based and you know what do you do where do you go from there and I think we're going to find out here shortly from the people who are really in power how they feel and that can go into what uh you know what we saw just a few minutes ago today yeah yeah, you, I wanted to jump in. You make a lot of like really good points about why did this take so long? It's been g- dragging out for such a long time. And uh, I want I was trying to give, you know, think of what what took so long. Like like Robert, like you said, Robert Sarver has been the owner since 2004. And it sounds like he had been checked multiple times. Um and, you know, at first I'm like, is this just an ignorant guy that needs to be checked? But it seemed, if you read the story, he it seemed like people tried to check him multiple times and he just kind of ran the organization in some levels. Like it seems like a frat house where or, you know, like he was the bot. He could do whatever he wanted. Um, you know, what I wanted to also highlight and note is that this in comparing the situation to with Donald Sterling, in that case, with Donald Sterling back in 2014, there was an audio recording that was released by TMZ where he was with his mistress saying terrible things about Magic Johnson. Um, you can go look into that story. It's it's pretty, pretty damning. And if you look into Donald Sterling some more, there's a, there was a long history of him having lawsuits against him for his other business ventures where he had been a racist and discriminatory. So... They, they had a much better case against Donald Sterling to, you know, take him to potentially take him to court and kick him out of the league where it, it they, he did. They did. He did take them to court, but it was ultimately all sided in favor of the NBA. Um, but in this case of Robert Sarver, what the point I'm making is it's all I mean, for lack of a better word, hearsay. It's all he said, she said at the end of the day. Um, and that's what's so tough about it is because I, I do believe these people, especially when you have so many stories and they're all different. So I it's it's impossible to not believe them, in my opinion. And you look at these reactions right here. I got to make my screen a little bit bigger so I can read them, um, you know, coming in from all around the league. Like I was kind of saying earlier, LeBron James. Here we go. So LeBron James at King James said read through. 
through the server stories, if you honest, our league definitely got this wrong. I don't need it to explain why. Y'all read the stories and decide for yourselves, or y'all read the stories and decide for yourself. I said it before, and I'm going to say it again. There is no place for this. There is no place. I'm sorry. Again, there is no place in this league for that kind of behavior. I love this league, and I deeply respect our leadership, but this isn't right. There is no particular place for misogyny, sexism, or and racism in any workplace, no matter if you own the team or play for the team. We hold the league up as an example of our values, and this ain't it. Um, Chris Paul, with a similar sentiment, uh, left like many others, I reviewed the report. Oh, my bad. You're good. You're good. Go to John Gambadoro. But yeah, so I thought Gambo's was interesting. Um, and kind of what I was alluding to earlier, he said, based on some conversations with NBA people around the league, there is speculation that the NBA did not want a legal battle with Robert Sarver. So they put the report out there to allow it to run its course. Sponsors, their sponsors reaction, minority owners reaction, media, fans, etc. Here is what could happen in regards to the Suns ownership. There is very likely language in the partnership agreement that would allow for the removal of the principal owner for cause. If the minority owners determine that Robert Sarver violated his fiduciary duties and acted unethically and immorally, they could look up, they could look to act on that clause. Holy cow, I need to go back to elementary school and learn how to read out loud around the class. But um, yeah, I mean, like I said, player reaction is that this isn't enough, that he did that they didn't do enough. And I understand that. I really do. Um, but look at what Gambo's saying, kind of his perspective. Uh, it makes sense. You know, the public opinion right now, he, his fiduciary responsibility means that he needs to do what's in the best interest of the shareholders. And in my opinion, even the stakeholders, which is us, the fans, the people that are supportive of this team to the players, to the employees, all the employees of the team. He, he if he's damaging the brand with his actions, which he clearly is, then he needs to he needs to step out and it's not like and that's what's so funny about it is cuz he stands to make a lot of money off selling his share of the team his majority share so he's going to be just fine this is just um his passion project if you will this is just what he does mm -hmm. for fun i mean robert sarver is had money before he's going to have money again it's it's so I mean, that's that's kind of my opinion on it. I think, like, I don't think it's done. I think he's going to get forced out. I don't really see any way he isn't. Um, like, you even saw, like, what were you saying, Mike? Uh, there, Jom Najafi, that news that just came out? Yeah. So, you know, you bring up some really great points in regards to the, the NBA not wanting to possibly have a legal battle with Robert Sarver. Uh, I think everybody is on the same wavelengths in regards to the inappropriateness of in which he acted um just totally egregious absolutely uncalled for should never be in any type of workplace uh you know there was reports about him basically treating employees kind of like um like like an asset not even like a human being like i own you and i don't want that to be involved in my favorite team and my organization top down, right? That's even if, if I were to hear that at a, the place that I work and it's coming from like my boss, you know, I'm probably going to try and A, report it, but then B, also start looking for better opportunities. Exactly. So I can be in a yeah. safer place. 
that's here nor there. But I, I'm trying to go back to the point where everybody is on the same page. Everything that Robert Sarver did was disgusting. And I think that the NBA did its best to say that it's unacceptable. Here is your, you know, here are the repercussions from this, whether it be too small for what people think or kind of just within the, the norm, but it put it back into the court of the minority owners and the leadership team for the Phoenix Suns to basically take the next steps. And that's what we're starting to see right now. And you talked about, you know, minority owner, uh, minority owner, Jam Najafi. Uh, this came out at 648. So just a little bit before uh, we started tonight that the Phoenix Suns vice chairman and minority owner, Jam Najafi, called for majority owner Robert Sarver's re resignation in an open letter to team employees released on Thursday night saying there should be zero tolerance for lewd, misogynistic, and racist conduct in any workplace. And I 100% agree. So they haven't taken that much time. They let the kind of dust settle from the initial reports coming out, people having their conversations, how they feel about it, if it's good, if it's bad. And now Najafi is starting to take that next step forward to hopefully usher Sarver out the door. Yeah. And if anyone listening, if that name, Jam Najafi, sounds familiar, uh, when this, since, like we said, this has been going on for a long time and last season, and even a I think a little bit during the playoff run last year, I could be wrong. But what I'm getting at is Jam Najafi brought Colin Kaepernick courtside for a game to make, you know, to make a statement, obviously. And he has a strong interest in becoming the majority owner, if not the complete owner. Uh, I can't remember which, but in any case, um, like Mike said, I 100% I agree with everything Mike said. I would not tolerate that in my workplace. If, if I, if my boss or higher up or the owner of the company I work for said that kind of thing to me, the types of things that they reported, yeah, I'm out of there. It's not happening. Um, Mike, I, I don't want to. Oh, yeah, sure. This the Chris Paul tweet. Like I said, it's really similar to LeBron James. Um, for those who may be just listening on the audio, like many, I reviewed the report. I was and am horrified and disappointed by what I read. This conduct, especially towards women, is unacceptable and must never be repeated. I am of the view that the sanctions fell short in truly addressing what we can all agree was atrocious behavior. My heart goes out to all of the people that were affected. And so uh, this might lead Mike and uh, we can steer away from this if, if, if this is out of bounds, but I wanted to ask you about your own personal experience and maybe if you, since you still have a lot of connections within the organization um, without naming names, have, has anyone, you or yourself experienced any of this kind of behavior or witnessed it? So when I started as a ball boy, it was the first year that Robert Sarver joined um, as part of the team. Uh, I think a lot of what I was seeing, I was a kid, I was 14 years old. You know, I, you hear about some, uh, you know, some of these instances in regards to, you know, inappropriate conduct as has been reported, but in my time, I didn't see any of that, but I also wasn't there on a day-to-day -day basis. I was only there on game days, you know, a couple of hours before the game and, you know, an hour or two after the game. And it was really just focused on the basketball on the floor. Uh, so I never really had any interaction with Mr. Sarver, uh, nor did I hear any reports from, you know, 
other employees about his conduct uh, in regards to that. Um, well, one thing I would say is, and I, I do want to be careful in regards to how I how I I do say this, but I did have interactions with some of his family members, um, and they weren't the greatest. But they weren't <laughs> down the line of these reports in regards to misogyny and racism. It right. never was about that. It was just kind of general character. So when you see that from so long ago, two thousand four to what has been reported now if you ask me am i surprised about this the answer is no it's absolutely no um and i don't want to i don't know them right i don't have a personal connection with them my my time with them was very limited it was a sh very short uh you know period in my life and i was you know in high school worried more about other things when we were there it was all about the game it was all about who was on the floor what, what players I got to rebound for, what celebrities we might see on the side. <laughs> um, so it was a whole different, you know, experience for me back then. But I mean, that's a good question, right? And, and I haven't gone to venture out for, for some of my friends that do work for the organization who currently do and who have previously uh, worked with them. I haven't gone and asked them if they were, you know, questioned about, uh, the situation or if they've had their own experiences. I think for a lot of us, we were just trying to have this report come out to see what some of the findings were and then move forward and have those conversations as needed. Because at the end of the day, if you are one of these people who was directly affected by this, you know, having to relive some of that stuff can be painful and you know, they just might have had to do it with those investigators. And I don't want to be a person to have to mull up those feelings again for them and have to put them through that. So yeah, not, that's completely fair. And that that's tough, because you know, when Baxter Holmes was writing this story as an investigative journalist, he he did have to do that. And he was, I'm sure he put up a, you know, broad post, like, if you have any information, come to me, and probably a lot of people approached him. But it just it's just thinking about it i mean it's it's strange right because like you said you never had any experience but you were not on a day-to-day -day type of basis but it, it's a big company there's there's a lot of people that work there so uh not everyone's gonna gonna be be seeing him all the time um yeah it's just something that uh, is going to be something we need to watch and i'm sure we'll talk about again on this show in the heat check podcast as as more news develops i mean uh, as we were preparing for the show like like mike said just 16 minutes before that news about jam najafi broke so uh, i'm i'm interested to see what happens but I, I don't think it's the end no unfortunately this is just kind of the beginning once again you know from those initial espn reports last year everything kind of got moved to the wayside as the NBA did their own investigation. So you're basically restarting this whole journey again, which is tough because, you know, for a team that has had so, so much success the past couple of years to be, you know, right in the thick of this and, and this negativity, it affects you and it affects your brand and everything that is surrounding you. So that's going to be some of the other, 
you know, big pieces and dominoes that could fall from these reports if Robert Sarver continues to be the owner of this team. You know, are yeah. people going to want to be under contract as far as, you know, branding and having your name, at, you know, on the stadium or, you know, fitting the bill to make sure that your logos are all around that stadium. If Robert Sarver, Sarver is still a part of this organization, you're going to see the fallback and you're going to see brands falling off because they don't want to be, uh, you know, in bed with that, with that kind of a person. Um, yeah. So it, we're just at the beginning. I, I'm going to be very interested to see some of the other responses from the, some of the other minority owners like Larry Fitzgerald, Mr. Fitzgerald. Uh, mm-hmm. I wonder if he'll come out and make any kind of statements because I know that he has you know, a pretty good relationship with Robert Sarver. So we'll have to see. Um, and it's not about picking sides, right? It's about doing the right thing. Yeah, no, 100%. Um and and like I and they, even like I was saying, they got like doing the right thing for the brand, for the fans, for for everyone, for just human decency. Uh, but the last thing I kind of lost my train of thought there a little bit before. But I just what I wanted to say is and highlight again is everyone's perspective was different. Like Mike's was different. Steve Kerr even came out and said he never witnessed anything like that. But you you got to believe these reports. You got to believe people, especially when there's so many and detailed and substantial. And he even said and admitted to depancing a person in front of a group of people to handing around a picture of his wife in a bikini and any way he tries to justify it or spin it or explain it away it still happened people told him it wasn't okay and he continued to do these things so you gotta you gotta draw a line at a certain point and you just can't defend it so that's i don't want to beat a dead horse and uh, like i said it's not the end a lot more is to come but mike what do you say we move on to uh the outlet point guard. Yeah, let's do it. I didn't mean to interrupt you while you were on a roll by bringing up the clip. I just was trying to preset it. I was just trying to preset it, but it freaking started rolling as soon as uh, I pulled it up. But uh, today we're going to be looking at the one and the only Ja Morant. Ja Morant is one of my favorite young players in the league today. He's explosive. He's crafty with the ball. He's becoming a great shooter, um, and it's going to flow into some of the other conversations that we have towards the end when we go into Reddit Reacts. But let's get your first raw reaction to this, Chris. I know I didn't prep you today, but I like to see kind of where you're coming from, where you're seeing uh, the action, especially as a, a guard. So here we go. Let's roll it. This is like kind of a three-pack. So we got... You know, some action going up against D'Angelo Russell, uh, a little bit of a, you know, cross in between. And then the big one from the first round playoffs against uh, uh, the Timberwolves with this nasty dunk on Malik Beasley. Uh, John Morant, his bounce has is kind of I haven't seen it in a while. You know, you kind of start to try and think about who have been some of the other players recently really with his crazy athleticism and it's starting to transition into the way that he handles the ball as well which i think is truly awesome uh, and can make you be one of the best players in the league so how about we do this breakdown one by one yeah yeah like let's go i like it okay 
So this first one, obviously the high set. I feel like with fast explosive players, first and foremost, I don't want to be stepping out on John Morant this far from the basket, especially mm -hmm. when I don't have any other help in the middle. Right, exactly. You know, all this double action, these double screens coming over here um, from Jaron Jackson and Desmond Bain to space out that floor. So it's almost like John Morant can hit the gas and go straight ahead. But he does a, a nice little behind the back, sees that D'Angelo Russell is kind of stepping back on his back foot, trying to catch uh, back into a good defensive stance. And then he hits him with a nice crossover right into his shot. And look at all that space he has right yep. off the bat. I mean, that's some of the things as coaches – when you try to work on dribble moves, it's not only, okay, can you cross between the legs, but can you cross and then go behind the back and continue your momentum into the direction that you want to go? Mm -hmm. If you can master that kind of stuff, oh, you're going to be a handful on the court. Oh, yeah. That, and that, like, go working that, like, maybe backwards from there, that, for that crossover move, I don't think people can really uh, truly appreciate how much force he's putting into slamming that ball into the ground and then having the control to get it back with his opposite hand. And to, um, he put a little finesse on it too there, but it, go, go back one more time all the way to the beginning. And I wanted to notice, so it's, it looks like they, they, they're, they're set there, but it's a very high set, which is confusing to me why these guys are playing up so high all five offensive players are on the perimeter right now. So right away, John Morant is thinking, I need, I'm going to get the defense to collapse on me because I have a wide open lane. Like you said, all that space is in the middle. So he he puts on the fucking, uh, excuse me, I'm, I don't know if we're trying to swear on this podcast, but he puts on the boosters, right? And he, because and he's going to close that gap. So play it forward just a little bit. So right away, oh shit. Um, go back just a little, go, go back to like, right before he does the first move. All right, perfect. So he sees that he the the defender overcommitted. So right there is when he decides he's going to shoot. So it doesn't even matter that those two are are falling into the paint. But Carl Anthony Towns up there is still I think that's Carl Anthony Towns. He's mm -hmm. still falling back even further in the paint. And right now Jaws looking right at him and says, "Oh, you aren't helping. I got this three-pointer wide open." And he just pulls it back and drains it, not a problem. That and that ball control. Look at all that space because he can't recover from that. Once he turns his hips and commits, and then Job pulls it back, all his momentum is going this way, and it's like the slow motion, like no, <laughs> and, and then he and then he's done. And look at how many options Jaw has because he made the the defense collapse. He could whip it over there in the corner. He could whip it to his left real quick, but he doesn't have to because he set himself up beautifully for this three. Um, and it's not even in transition, although it kind of, at first glance, I thought this was a transition play just because of how high the defense was still playing. Right. And the one thing I do like, he probably had his mind made up that once he couldn't beat D'Angelo off the dribble right here, he's probably going to pull back into his jumper. But he did see that Carl Anthony did step down just a little bit to maybe make it harder if he did want to transition to drive with that right hand. So then he just hits that real quick between the legs step back right into his pocket which is beautiful man it's so underrated to string together dribble moves to give yourself the space to create as a shooter right because mm -hmm. 
you know, there's guys who can go and get a bucket when you need them to, like John Morant, like Devin Booker. Um, there's guys who are really successful when they're coming off of action and, you know, coming off of curls, coming off of screens and not even really putting the ball on the floor like a Clay Thompson. But if you have the whole package and you can do all of it, oh, man, dude, you can't be stopped. And I feel like Jaws headed that direction with his athleticism and especially for how young he still is. That's the sky's the limit for this guy, man, which is a little bit scary because, you know, the Western Conference is already as tough as it is right now. And to have mm-hmm. to be contending with, you know, a team like the Memphis Grizzlies and a young up and coming superstar like John ja Morant, uh, it only makes it tougher <laughs> for the yeah. Suns. Yeah. And say say what you will about John ja Morant, but he has confidence. He's not afraid to pull that three pointer, to attack the basket and put his crotch in someone's face in the process he'll do it and he'll do it well and succeed at it and it's very impressive i was going to wait until we get to the third clip but the the i almost see a derrick derrick rose-esque qualities and you know i think that was like 2008 derrick rose where he was a smaller guard but he had the springs on his legs so he Mm -hmm. could get up and slam it home um i ended up being kind of to his detriment and his knees given out so i hope that's not the same for jaw um I know technology's come a lot way. The player cares come a long way. And uh, in any case, I think John ja, ja Morant's going to have a long career. What, what, so let's, let's do the second play now. So this one's, you know, a little bit more of the craftiness around the basket. You know, your Steve Nash style, your Kyrie Irving. Um, he, he gets real deep here and not many options, right? You know, the paint's packed. You already have three guys in here, plus your own offensive guy. This really isn't an option. If you try and do maybe a little shovel pass right there, it's probably going to get poked away uh, and you're looking at a turnover. So you're so deep in here, you're surrounded, almost triple teamed. You don't have a lot of options. It's going to be tough to swing that ball because, you know, the hand of the guy right at the top of the key can get right in there and swat that thing away for a steal. His back is turned to, uh, you know, these other guys. I think that's um, Trey Jones and uh, Brooks. I think, uh, mm. but you know, so you you got to do what you got to do here and and see, see what kind of space you can create to get a shot up. And he just that quick spin and that left hand finish, so smooth, so crispy. You know, it's so underrated. I feel like I'm going to keep saying this to, yeah. <laughs> today. It's so underrated. To be able to, because I'm just thinking about it from a coaching perspective as well, right? You have to be able to finish with both hands at the basket, especially mm-hmm. when it's so, everything is so uh, quick twitch in regards to your decision making, especially around the basket. If I have a guy on my right shoulder, I'm not going to go up with my right hand. I want to make sure that I'm keeping the ball as far away from the defender as I possibly can. Yeah. But that just, that low cross right there gets him right up into his shot. It's just so nice. Man. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if it's just how he handles the ball. Uh, I might look it up after this, but it looks like John Morant's got some long arms to where mm-hmm. when he does that crossover and the crossover and the finger roll, he gets so much separation just on that first dribble through the cross, and. And just is able to scoop it in there. It's it's amazing because, like you said, when you had that freeze frame there, it was like, oh no, what's it right here? What's he? What's he now? 
uh, not a whole lot of options. You know, um, again, he has man open right in the corner, but he's thinking uh, uh, confidently and aggressively and knows that, again, the defender's overcommitting to, to where he has that fast twitch and that control to shift all his momentum back the other way while the defender's going right by him. So again, you got that slow-mo movie clip um, and it's just easy, easy buckets. It's, it's very, like you said, very impressive. Yeah. I feel like his left hand is super underrated. I don't think it's uh, at the level of Kyrie Irving, um, Mm. but he's getting there at Kyrie Irving, man, his ability to finish high off the glass with his left hand. I, I mean, we definitely saw it a lot during those playoff pushes with the Cavaliers. Whew, just gives me chills, man, because I kind of remember back in the day when I was a little bit, you know, when I was a little bit smaller and I was like the primary ball handler, you know, whether it be at pickups or adult leagues or, you know, when I was younger and I had a string on me, like I could, I could attack with the best of them mm-hmm. and it gives it, I'm almost shedding a tear because I can't really do that anymore. I can still dribble the ball, but I'm just, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm bigger now. Like it's, it's I, I'm not the size of Job and Rant. I don't have that speed anymore, but yeah, let's get into let's get into the real sauciness here. This was probably one of the best finishes from the playoffs this past year, and Game Five. Man, Minnesota really, really fumbled the bag in this series. They had some pretty decent leads in a couple of games, and they ended up blowing it, which eventually, you know, they lost the series because of. But this is a play at the end of the third quarter. You, you're you down by 13, and to have this explosive of a play where you basically, for lack of a better term, you put your nuts on a man's face, you're getting, the, you're, getting you're rallying the troops behind you here. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have all the juice going into the fourth quarter, and I'm pretty sure Memphis ended up winning this game. And it could almost be attested to this exact play right here. I mean, the explosive, the way that he cocked it back to is just like impressive. And you see the fan reaction in the background gets the whole place pumped up. And Mike, I don't have to tell you this. Basketball is a game of runs and momentum is king. And if you can get the momentum and make some separation, that can go a long way. And that's how we see these games in the NBA get up to 20, 30 point leads and then even get then get beaten back down is because the point swings can be that that crazy due to this momentum. And how did this game five end? I can't jog my memory. Um, I don't remember the final score, but I'm pretty sure Memphis ended up winning it because they won in six. Yeah, yeah. Was this was it a regular season game or was it in the playoffs? No, when... this was the, this is the first round of the. Playoffs. No, no. I was, I was gonna say when Carl uh, Anthony Towns was like shushing the Grizzlies crowd because they were whooping Ooh. up early, and then I could be getting some events. Oh like... no, I think that was in the playoffs. I think that was one of the earlier games, though. Yeah, I think that was the fir- I think that was the first game that they ended up blowing, game if I'm not mistaken. But I could oh, be wrong. Game Game Five, Game Five. The Grizzlies won this game one eleven to one oh nine. Did it go to so overtime? That, um, no, uh, it doesn't look like it. Wild. It said wild wild ending. So they just squeaked it out. Wait here, I got the box score. Yeah, so the, after after this play, the Grizzlies go on to score thirty seven points in the fourth quarter to the Timberwolves twenty four. 
Oof. Yeah. So, oof. That that and and you can take it back to this bucket because if they didn't get this bucket, I think it it would have gone to overtime potentially, yeah, or true. they or they wouldn't have even had the momentum to get that that run. It that just goes to show you. Yeah, if you can get the place rocking going into the fourth quarter, I mean, sometimes that's all you need, especially for good teams. Oh yeah. So, well, I wanted to look at Ja Morant because. He is part of the next topic of discussion, which we're going to dive into with Reddit Reacts. And it's all around the signature shoe, specifically around three different guys. Our Valley guy, Devin Booker, Ja Morant, and Jason Tatum. So right now... I think Nike sees that Devin Booker is a very large asset for the brand. Um, Obviously, he's on the cover of NBA 2K23. He's had success on the court with a top five MVP finish. Um, He's dating a Kardashian. (laughs) You know, there's, there's a lot of great things that are surrounding Devin Booker and the people like him. So there's they're using him within the campaign for their second iteration of the GT Cut. So the GT Cut 2 is basically kind of uh Nike basketball's higher echelon um basketball shoe. There's different tiers when it comes to basketball shoes and specifically you can even go to you know the players that have signature shoes like Giannis. Giannis has his uh Greek Freak uh, which the fourth model is going to be coming out this year. And he also has the Giannis Immortality. So there's like different levels to to break down for each player. Uh, mm-hmm. But this is the higher echelon for Nike, Nike's basketball shoe. And they're using Devin Booker uh, on the campaign front right now. Um, what do you think, Chris? Do you like seeing D-Book kind of being, you know, one of the, one of the faces for Nike? Yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I, I'm glad they're putting him front and center. It'd be dumb for them not to, of course. Like you said, he's uh, dating a Kardashian. He's up in the finals. He's in the playoffs. I'm sure he's top 10 jersey seller, if not a top five jersey seller. Um, it, it's It's got to be – I, I want to see the signature shoe coming down the line, though, because, I mean, it's cool that he's going to be doing this GT cut, too. Um, he did this player exclusive, or they did this player exclusive that I got behind me. Um, but, and that was a long time ago. That was when he was a, a rookie or I think in his second year, um, which is crazy to say, cause he's been that guy for a while now, even before they were in the finals. Uh, and so I don't know if it's just the Phoenix market disrespect that we've talked about or what it, what's really going on. Because when we look at the guys, I think you were saying Tatum and John ja Morant, right. That are the comparable same, same around the same age came into the league around the same time. Um, I think even jaw came in significantly later than Booker did, but in any case, I want to see, I want to see him get the signature. Cause I, it's doing these, these other types of shoes, but where's the exclusive When's When's that coming down the line? I'm glad you asked, Chris. So some of the newer reports that have come out the past couple of weeks as well have been um, that 
Jason Tatum and Ja Morant are both going to get a signature shoe. And shortly, basically within this next year. Um, and it's going to be Ja Morant will be with Nike and Jason Tatum will be with Jordan. The mm-hmm. one thing when it comes to signature shoes is specifically Nike as a brand. I think they limit the amount of shoes that they're going to put out to the public or the amount of players that get uh, player exclusives. So right now you got LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Paul George, Giannis, and who am I missing, Chris? I'm missing a fifth. Uh, Giannis, Kyrie, LeBron, Paul George, and is there a fifth in Nike? It's just that's just Nike. Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. Durant. Oh my goodness. We've talked. We've talked about him so much. I had to put him in the back of my mind for a little bit. I've, you know. Yeah, I've been. blocked him out as much as possible in recent days. So. <laughs> so Nike as a brand, they try to stick to about five guys. So what the plan, it sounds like, is John Morant is probably going to take Paul George's spot. Or, yeah, probably Paul George's spot because Kyrie Irving, um, you know, has been on the ropes with Nike. Obviously, his last signature shoe, the Kyrie Infinities or the Kyrie 8s, there were some not so favorable words from Kyrie himself basically stating that he wasn't part of the design uh, production. And um, that relationship has basically soured at this point where I don't think that he's coming back. So, and, and Jason Tatum, since he's with Jordan, it doesn't really factor into the Nike decision in regards to who's going to get a signature shoe. Um, And right now, Jordan, I believe only has two, two guys who have signature shoes, uh, Russell Westbrook and Zion Williamson. So obviously with what's been going on with Zion, him not playing him, you know, you know, is he overweight? Is is he going to be okay when he comes back? Whatnot. They wanted to get some extra juice uh, with Jason Tatum and bringing him his own signature shoe. So we're seeing these guys get shoes as early as fall, I believe. Uh, probably more likely 2023, you know, mid-season time frame, we'll see those come out. It's so weird the way that the shoe companies release uh, newer models because, like, the KD-15, they came out with them in the summer, like, after uh, the season was over for Durant. Like, I don't understand why they don't start, like, a, a month, a month and a half before the next season, and that's when you kind of bring out the new models. I understand you want to structure them a little bit so you're not hitting them with five different shoes all at once and making people have to pick. The hope is that as a brand, if you love Nike, you're going to go out and get all those signature shoes to try them out from from all those guys. Um, But with that being said, it sounds like Devin Booker is slated to get his own signature shoe but not this upcoming year. It's going to be for 23-24. But I think that's kind of why they wanted to get him more involved as to be a face, specifically for the GT cuts. Uh, It starts to see kind of if the marketing will, you know, get a good foothold uh, with him being the the primary guy pushing this brand or this, you know, specific shoe and see what the numbers look around with it. But I'm pretty sure Nike has already made their decision that he's kind of the next up after John Morant, because Kyrie Irving, the the Kyrie nines will probably be the final model in his line. 
and then it'll be on to D book. And oh my goodness, is it going to be impossible to get those here in Phoenix? Yep. But that's all right. Just check your apps. I'm sure they'll be available, uh, <laughs> available shoes uh, online and whatnot. But I um, guess the bigger conversation I wanted to pass along to you, Chris, is how do you feel about Devin Booker getting his shoe after John Morant and Jason Tatum? Uh, it's it's tough, man. I mean, I just I, as much as I want to try and understand it, I I can't because you look. We named all the reasons why Devin Booker sh- has made a case for himself for having marketability and appeal. Um, he is kind of, I think, a lot of people love to hate Devin Booker. Quite frankly, outside of Phoenix, uh, he's kind of a cocky guy on the court. Uh, he's a real quiet guy off the court, which kind of ha- he has that going for him. But it's. I think uh, it's it's disrespectful. You mean you, finally it's it's hard to say because Devin Booker is going to be on the cover of NBA Two K Twenty Three this upcoming one, but it's it's been so bastardized in my opinion the the NBA Two K covers now because they uh, release five, six, seven editions of them. You got WNBA players, you got legends, you got booker you got other throwbacks whatever and it's like it's cool i like that the WNBA players are in the game now i think that gives them more visibility um and kids love to play video games so if 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 young boys and girls um who are playing or if anyone is playing wants to it might you know spark an interest in the WNBA. and in, in any case i i don't think that what I'm trying to say is a signature shoe is obviously way bigger than a 2k cover now um because of the way it's kind of been um you know, for lack of a better word, bastardized. I'll stop saying it now, but like, it just doesn't mean as much to me, in my opinion. Uh, with the signature shoe, and and just speaking on Josh specifically, like you said, he's another young, exciting player, and he does kind of stir the pot off the court a little bit. Um, he has a father who's a big personality, looks exactly like Usher Raymond. It's hilarious. People <laughs> love to write articles about it. It's all good fun. So you know, outside of dating a Kardashian and going out, uh, you know, getting popped spotted with the paparazzi they they aren't doing anything controversial they aren't doing anything crazy that's noteworthy so that's why you don't really even hear about it i think they were broken up for a few weeks that was uh, it was around the finals time so that was fun to talk about but then yeah are they back together for sure who even knows who even cares but they they are they officially are back together good good she was she was with him at the nba 2k23 like release party Mm. thing that they had and of course she was in videos and all that fun stuff so yeah solid but i did I, i also just wanted to say on the prospect of a devin booker signature shoe of course i'm gonna get it of course i'm gonna try and do everything i can to get it but i'm nervous mike because you know i like to play with a little bit more ankle support in my shoes the higher the higher ankle and i booker likes the low the lows from what i've seen i was about to say man like it could be the lowest cut of the <laughs> lowest basketball cut you've ever seen in your life there ain't a damn thing you're gonna do to stop me from buying that shoe. If am I gonna play in it? I don't know. Maybe it'll be uh, something that I put on the mantle back here and and have it on the live streams every once in go. a while. Or I can just wrap my ankles, put on my braces, and pray for it. Uh, you know, hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that that's kind of been uh, some of the issues I've been having with the KD15. Uh, they're way lower cut than the 14s. I never tried the 14s, but. It's just not a shoe that's really built for 
a, you know, a bigger guy like myself, which is crazy to think because KD's like almost seven foot tall, but his body build is completely different. So I get it from that aspect. Um, the one thing when it comes to this conversation in regards to these two guys specifically getting a shoe deal before Devin Booker, I think it goes exactly into some of the sentiments that you've already said. John Morant is the new guy in the league. He's the fresh blood. He's, he's for the kids. You know, he's all about that action boss. Like he's his, his mantra and his personality fits for the younger generation um, who are going to go out and tell their mom and dad for Christmas. Hey, I need the new pair of John Morant's for Christmas, right? You know, mm-hmm. that's where you're going to get a lot of those sales for those younger kids. The same way that we were seeing it with LaMelo Ball and uh, his Pumas uh, this past year. Uh, Jason Tatum, you know, he's another guy. His personality isn't crazy, like over the top or anything like that. But he's a really marketable guy. He plays in one of the biggest NBA markets in Boston. He's a family man. You know, people love his son, Deuce. He's just the cutest thing on and off the floor. You could see him in videos here and there. Um, and just, you know, he's, he's a guy that you can push and people will back behind him because he's a good overall guy. And then there's guys like Devin Booker who have proved have proven to be one of the best players in the NBA, but are in a tougher market with Phoenix. We're such a transplant city where it's hard for people to really gravitate towards just him because a lot of people here already have allegiances to other cities and towns and other teams, you know? There's not many of us. There's not many of, you know, those homegrown people who will really ride or die for the Suns. Um, he's His personality is, I wouldn't say it's drone, but it's not like, I'm not like ever super excited to hear what Devin Booker's like saying that often. Are you like his voice kind of scares me to be honest. It's so deep. <laughs> like, um, I, I'd have to, I gotta go and watch one of his streams. I don't know how often he does it, uh, but I got to check out one of his COD streams. I wonder what kind of, uh, you know, interaction he's having with the chat and whatnot. Yeah. But, but and you know, I think, for him and for the Phoenix market, the push is really going to have to be around your level of success on the floor, unless your personality is just out and about and wild. You know what I mean? Like you really got to win here in order to be pushed out to further markets, especially if it comes down to signature shoe, because at the end of the day, everybody wants their favorite guy from their favorite team to have a shoe. Of course, like, I, if I was in New Orleans, I'd want Brandon Ingram to have a shoe. I, I'd buy the hell out of that shoe. But it also is about marketability and being able to sell it. Yeah, and sell it for a long time. So, mm-hmm. and I want to I want to add add to that and highlight kind of what you were talking about earlier when you brought up Jason Tatum and his son Deuce. Um, you know, it just goes an, another layer of the marketability. Um, he's a family man. You know, it's great him and his son. And even similar, uh, if you didn't know, with John Morant, he has a, a young daughter, and again, family man on top of all the other things. And I, I was gonna say, I hate to be this guy. Um, I, I don't fully believe in it, but I know there's some truth to it to some extent. The that j- just that Devin Booker seems to be more of like a millennial type, leaning that 
that type of generational type person versus John Morant might be more of a Gen Z, like you said, appealing to the kids. Um, Devin Booker is doing the live streams, but other than that, he's not tweeting. He's not really having much of a social media presence uh, where, whereas clear like John definitely is, but it is, it is fun. I do enjoy seeing John Morant, not only his off the court stuff, not as much as the highlights on, you know, TikTok and Twitter of him slamming the ball in or doing some crazy crossover, putting someone in a blender. So there's there's levels to it. I get the you know the business, the marketing angle, but I'm I'm glad to see Booker's getting his. Um I last thing I just wanted to kind of while we were talking here, I wanted to just maybe pose the question to wonder what you were thinking. Cause I don't I don't know how much of an appetite there is for Zion Williamson. Um, anymore with the way he's been injured yeah he's an electric player he's been someone that a lot of the basketball community has been following and tracking since I think even his middle school definitely his high school days um, but what, what would you what is what would you think the appetite is for the marketability or or profitability of a Zion Williamson signature shoe or anything like that well so I know they just came out with the second model uh, the Zion 2 I've been hearing some good things as far as um, feel comfortability structure and and really holding your foot within it am i going to go out and get it absolutely not um i just i i have to be picky with what i want to try out uh that's probably a shoe that might be made a little bit better for me but i did try the zion one and i didn't really like the structure of it as far as to play in um, when I do my youth sports refing on the weekends, um, I did wear it quite often because it was comfortable, but it's not, it wasn't going to be a shoe that I would wear when we do runs. Uh, mm-hmm. cause I was just a little bit too worried as far as traction and really holding my foot within it. Uh, it seemed a little bit cheaper of a model to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I think a big thing in regards to Jordan brand is, you know, there's always going to be the love for the retros, the one through 14s. People are always going to be buying those. There's not a lot of people who really wear them to play in unless you're like an older head. Like, you know, Schmidty's always out there in the fives, uh, like his, his old pair of fives. He's out in there all the time. That's um, great. But for, but for the most most part, you know, the newer generations, when people get those, it's really just kind of for show and to wear off on the side. Like I have this pair of Cardinal threes right here. Um I've never played basketball in them. I'm never going to play in them too, because that's, that's a model that was from 1986. Like the tech yeah. within the new shoes. Now I want that. I don't want 1986. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and going back to your question, the hype behind Zion, unfortunately really has died off a lot recently because of his inability to be on the floor. I mean, he's exciting when he's on the floor. He's, such a big body he's so explosive different explosiveness than the way that we talk about john morant but he's Mm -hmm. just a scary dude on the floor when he's healthy but when he's not i don't give a crap about what he's bringing out towards the table in regards to jordan brand and i think that's kind of why they're starting to transition you know a newer fresher face in jason tatum into the fold especially with Russell Westbrook as the only other Jordan brand athlete as far as signature shoes. Russell Westbrook, whether you like it or not, has gotten a lot of flack the past couple of years in his play. And, you know, 
you can't be great forever. And you have to say that Russell Westbrook was one of the best players in NBA history. Where you put him, is he top 75? I don't know. But he's one of those guys who changed the game and was a great player for a very long period of time. Is he that now? Absolutely not. I mean, you can't be throwing up that many bricks off of the glass off the side, man. Like, that just doesn't happen. They literally called him West Brick. That does not happen, Chris. Like, no. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you can't be a professional and that happen very often. Like, everybody shoots a brick every once in a while. Everybody has an air ball once in a while because they're trying to do too much. But I can't have a full 15-minute tape from one season of those shots. <laughs> you know? So Russ, Russell is on the back end of his career, no fault to his own, but they need to get some more blood in there. Um, I give it, a, I give it another year, year and a half. If Zion comes back and d- starts to dominate again, and New Orleans really puts together a nice playoff push this next season, I don't think Jordan Brand will have anything to worry about for the next couple of years because they'll get that juice back behind his name. But if he can't stay healthy and he plays 25 games and is out for extended a period of time again, you know, I'd I'd see within the next three years, they'll probably pull his contract and they'll have somebody else coming into the fold. That's just how it goes. So, yeah. And wow, I, that's that's great points. I didn't even really think about there in the moment that Russell Westbrook has been on a major decline and is likely nearing the end of his career or at least his superstar portion of his career i mean it's maybe similar to how derrick rose went from like i said being an mvp candidate to then now being a role player granted uh, he's found his place as a really good role player in what he does and he'll still have nights where he pours in points but it's not the same way it's not slamming on people um doing step backs as much i think he actually is i don't know what i'm saying but in any case those two guys yeah it's going to really be on zion to to be healthy and show, show that he can be out there. Cause like I said, when he is out there, uh, he's electric and really fun to watch. And uh, with everything, with really everything we covered, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with uh, Robert Sarver, sell it, potentially selling the team with Devin Booker, getting his signature shoe with what Nike and Jordan brand are going to do. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm curious. So that's all I got, Mike. It's been fun tonight, bro. Yeah, man, we're, we're going to see this Sarva saga is not over. It's going to be a crazy next couple of weeks, uh, you know, especially as we get towards the season starting, dude. We're like a month away. I think uh, Five October weeks. 19th. I can't believe it. Football just started and I already got to worry about this. This is crazy, man. But with that being said, thank you to everybody who watched and listened with us. This is Past the Outlet, Episode 3. I'm your co-host, Michael Benjamin, as always, with my wingman, Chris Patrick. We appreciate all you guys so very much. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at AZ underscore VSP. Check us out, Facebook, Valley Sports Plug. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube page at Valley Sports Plug. Chris, thanks again, man. Yes, sir. We'll catch you next time. Peace.
ask any ball. If you know, you know. The game has changed, but it's still the same. If you want it, go get it. Shazam! The inbounds pass comes into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line. The shot on Elo. Ah, the Bulls win! They win it! Mike, you're honestly telling me that you're top five. Yeah. Top five of all time. No question about it. Booker, this is for the win. Got it. Wow. The ruling on the floor is made basket. You know, one thing's for sure. Over at Valley Sports Plug, you're never going to catch us slipping. First overall pick, the Phoenix Suns select. Three, two, one.